Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Thank you to Praise and Worship team. Hey, Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, it'll be on the screen. If you're joining us online or at Rossville, thank you so much for joining us there as well. No matter where you are, we're glad you're tuning in, even if you're watching it weeks later from today. Thank you for tuning in. Well, I started a sermon series called The Difference, and it's the last sermon I'm going to preach out of Matthew chapter 5 during the series. Let your light shine, right? There's a difference between a Believer and unbeliever, say person, unsay person, in church, not in church, person, like there ought to be a difference between us. That difference in our lives is what shines a light on the gospel and it makes them want what we have. And so how do we live out that difference? Well, Jesus has been telling us in Matthew chapter five, but he concludes the chapter with what I'll call this this morning, the hardest command, the hardest command. So look at Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read there in a moment, but give me a moment to get there. You know, when you go to the movies, you're always typically guaranteed two characters in the movies. Do you know what those are? First of all, there will be a good guy, right? You go to the movies, and, and the main protagonist, whatever, he's a, he's a good guy, good gal, or whatever. But if there's a good guy, that also means what? There's a bad guy. Man, and we love us some bad guys in movies. Like we, as a matter of fact, we're almost as infatuated with the bad guys as we are the good guys. And truthfully, we remember the bad guys as much as we do the good guys. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, Google, and Wikipedia, uh, somebody put together the top 50 bad guys in the movies. And I bet you'll know a bunch of these. So, for example, I'm not going to tell you who they are, do you guess? Number 50 was, anybody know who that is? Slimer, out of what movie? Ghostbusters. All right, let me go back to my generations here. Uh, many of you have seen this movie. Anybody know who that is? Biff. Biff in Back to the Future. How about this, kids? Anybody know who that is? Ursula, the little mermaid, right? Bad gal. And then uh, um, she was only in that movie about 30 seconds and scared me to death when I was a kid. Like, I'm talking about horrible, terrified when I was a kid, the wicked witch of the West. Uh, number 20, anybody remember him? Before your generation? Norman Bates. That's why you can't take a shower when you're at home by yourself, if you've seen the movie, right? Uh, 17, anybody know who that is? I thought somebody, Sauron in Lord of the Rings. All right, let me go back to my generation. Yes, also gave me nightmares and will not sleep well tonight now that I've seen it in, in right here as well. Freddy Krueger, death. Anybody know that bad guy? Lord Farquaad, right? Shrek, right? And remember, remember her? It's the alien, right? In what movie? Alien, right. So she's, she's terrifying back in the day. And then there is Emperor Palpatine, Star Wars. And then here's, you remember that bad guy? Terminator in what movie? Terminator, right, right. So it's pretty simple. Then there's, yeah, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, we, yeah, Signs of the Lamb. Yeah, he's pretty terrifying. And then there's number five, number five. Kylo Ren, right, bad guy. Number, number four, Lord Voldemort, right, and Harry Potter. Number three, the Joker, right, we're getting close. Number two, 
Darth Vader. Does anybody know or can guess what the number one bad guy is in the movies ever? Thanos. Out of Avengers. I mean, we love us some bad guys. As a matter of fact, we love to hate our villains and our bad guys and the enemies in the movies. The problem becomes when we carry that hatred over into real life to what we would define as our enemies in real life. The problem is we think we're supposed to do the same thing to our enemies in real life as the Avengers did to Thanos in the movies, and that is take them out and get rid of them and get even with them and get them back. Now, I want to tell you this. Listen, the fact is, as a child of God, you're not even supposed to have an enemy as a child of God. You're not supposed to have someone that you are at odds with. Now, I, I, I want to be honest. I, I'm, I'm human. I live in the same flesh you do. I understand how things work. I know we have people in our lives that view us as the enemy. I know we have people in our lives that antagonize us, that try to hurt us, harm us, humiliate us, that there are people in your life that try to seek your demise, that they think and act like you are the enemy. But how are we supposed to respond? Are we supposed to treat them the way they treat us? Because if, if that's our mentality, immediately we have a problem with that because we know Jesus told us this, right? In Luke chapter 6, just as you want others to do for you, you do the same for them. See, Jesus called us to be different because our command is the way you want other people to treat you is the way you should treat other people. And if that is our command, if that being the case is what we're supposed to follow, that means we cannot have an actual enemy. That we don't treat them the way that we are treated, but we respond to them the way we wish we were treated. And so Jesus lays out what that's supposed to look like in Matthew chapter 5, where he gives us the hardest command. So would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word as we close out Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus said this, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want to walk you through this passage. Let me make just a, about four quick observations after I do, because it starts off, Jesus dives right into the matter, and he says in verse 43 that you have heard that it was said. Now, I told you a few weeks ago, those are called antithesis statements, and Jesus is not saying that uh, it is written right here. He's not saying the scripture says it wrong. Jesus is telling us that our interpretation of the scripture is wrong. And Jesus 
uh, was refuting their interpretation of it. And Jesus was quoting from Luke, uh, Leviticus chapter 19, where it talked about loving your neighbor. But get this, there is no Bible verse that talks about hating your enemy. So Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There's no Bible verse that says hate your enemy. But they had taken Leviticus chapter 19 about loving your neighbor, and they had surmised incorrectly, well, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, I'm supposed to hate my enemy. And so the teaching that had been verbally passed down, and even in written form, but not from God, was love those that love you, hate those that hate you. And so Jesus is coming along and telling them here, and, and he said, so here's what you've heard all your life, right? You've heard that it said, your grandparents said it, and your parents said it, and the, and the rabbi said it, and all your teachers said it in school, that a, a good Jewish boy will love his neighbor and hate their enemy. It's what they had been told all of their lives. And by the way, that kind of makes good common sense, right? Love the people that love you and hate the ones that hate you. Like if you're going to love somebody, love the ones that love you. If you're going to hate somebody, hate the ones that hate, hate you. And so you hear that and it's been taught to you all your life and all of a sudden it makes really good common sense. Now, who's your neighbor that I'm supposed to love? Well, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus defines who our neighbor is. It's not the person living next door to us. It's anyone within our sphere of influencing or helping, regardless of race, nationality, faith, or personality, that anybody that is within our sphere to influence, that becomes our neighbor. And so Jesus comes along using that interpretation of neighbor, and he gives them a new interpretation of Leviticus 19.18. And here's what Jesus said, that the child of God should have undiscriminating love. Look at verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's not love your enemies. It's not a sentimental feeling. But it's an earnest desire for the good of your enemies. And Jesus wanted Christ followers to live to a higher standard than the world expects you to live by. So common sense said, love those that love you, hate those that hate you. And Jesus came along and said, not quite. He said, sure, love your neighbor, but I want you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for your enemies. Now immediately... If you heard that on the Sermon on the Mount, that's not what you've heard all your life. That goes against what even good common sense would say. Why in the world would I waste time loving my enemies? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 45 to deal with that. He said, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Notice what God does. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil, his sun to rise on the evil, and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Jesus said, hey, our Father in heaven sets the example. The sun rises on everybody. The rain falls on everybody. God doesn't say, hey, you're right with me. I love you. Uh, I'm going to let the sun shine on you, and I'm going to put a dark cloud over my enemies, and I'm going to let it uh, send refreshing rain in harvest time. Everybody loves me, but if you don't love me, then I'm going I'm to dry up your garden, and you won't have anything, and you'll starve to death. No, here's what God does. God so loves everybody. John 3.16 tells us God so loves the world that he sends the sun to shine on everybody and the rain to fall on everybody. And so here's what Jesus said. Those that would claim the name of Christ, that claim the name of God, must have the character of God to a lost and dying world. 
that God's love from you and through you must reach out to all people. That his children must be like him so that the world can see him in us. And since the love of God is for all, get this, our love must be for all. Because we don't have earthly enemies. You know what the world is comprised of? The world is not comprised of people who love you and people who don't love you. The world is comprised of people who are saved and on their way to heaven and people who are lost and on their way to hell. And this whole passage is dealing with the saved people showing the lost people Jesus. Because we don't have enemies. We know we don't have enemies. Paul told us, told us in Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Well, who's our struggle against? Well, Paul goes on to talk about it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Our struggle is the devil and demonic horde and the worldly culture in which we live. And so our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You don't have any enemies. And he goes so far as to say this in 1 John 4, the one who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Like if I'm not exhibiting the love of God to a lost and dying world, it tells something about my spiritual condition more than it does theirs. And he goes on in verse 46 and 47. He said, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? If you love those who love you, I mean, if you're going to be honest, um, Unbelievers do that, right? People who don't have God anywhere in their thoughts or their minds love people who love them. And Jesus took it to a new low. Jesus said, don't even the tax collectors do that? Now, you'd have to know about tax collectors a little bit, but they were considered to be the worst of the worst. Far from God, no morality whatsoever, no compassion, no empathy. Jesus said this, the worst of the worst of human beings, they love people who love them. Then he goes on, verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. And by Gentiles, he would have meant... Uh, lost people. That's how we would interpret Gentiles today. Those who are far from God. And the word greeting there is more than saying hello. It's an embrace and an invitation to hospitality. That if we greet our family, awesome, Gentiles do that, lost people do that. But what about your enemies? And by the way, here's what Jesus was trying to say in verse, verse 47, verse 46, 47. There's no reward for basic human decency. Most lost people have basic human decency, right? The tax collectors love those that love them. The lost people love those that love them. So Jesus took it up a notch. In verse 48, he said, just do this. Be perfect <laughs> as your Father in heaven is perfect. The word doesn't mean perfection 
most of the time in the Greek, it means mature, full-grown, complete. Jesus was saying complete Christianity shows the difference between us and a lost and dying world because we represent Jesus. Paul, Paul said it. Paul tried to get the thought across to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, that we represent Christ to a lost and dying world, that our ministry is his ministry. We are an ambassador to show love to a lost and dying world. And so that hardest command, yes, is a hard command. It is about us loving those who don't love us and caring for those who don't care about us and even sometimes taking care of those who don't, would not take care of us. So what was Jesus trying to tell us? Let me give you four things I think he was trying to tell us about these relationships we have in our lives that we would even call enemies. Number one, he was trying to tell us this, that number one, it's not about me. You have to understand that when Jesus is closing this picture out, he's trying to tell us that it's, it's more than about us, that when it comes to our relationships, we tend to get myopic in our view of our relationships. And we think our relationships are just about us and the other person. That no matter, hear me, here's what Jesus is trying to say, that no matter how personal the relationship is, there is a bigger narrative in play that is greater than us. That with every relationship in your life, you have the eyes of a lost world watching you and you're being a witness one way or another. With every enemy you would have, with every person that, that at least, whether you'd call them your enemy, they'd call you their enemy, how you relate to that person, Jesus is trying to let us know that the eyes of a lost and dying world are watching how you deal with them. So the people in your life that you're having a hard time getting along with they become something bigger than just a relationship between you and them. Listen, it's part of the gospel's influence. Which means that relationship is not just about you. This morning you may think that your relationship is separate from your Christian life, but it's not. It's all part of it. The problem is that your ongoing dispute with a family member, your ongoing fight with a former friend, your ongoing argument with a co-worker or a neighbor, or for all I know, the barista at Starbucks. I don't know who it is, but whomever it is, listen, it is more than about you. It's about the gospel. And you may have a relationship in your life that you consider an enemy. But listen, can I tell you this? You're hurting the whole team when you're treating somebody like an enemy. In football, even basketball and other sports, players have often been called for penalties and uh, personal fouls. They might call them in football in the heat of the moment. When they cost their team a game, there, there may not be a more famous recent example than in December, twin, December 2020 when the University of Florida was, looked like they were headed to the college football playoffs. They were number six in the rankings and um, 
That week in December, they actually lost to an unranked LSU team, uh, an LSU team that was three and five. They lost 37 to 34 at home to LSU. LSU was only playing with 69 scholarship players thanks to all the opt-outs, and they did so, and Florida lost because some player forgot he was on the team. With two minutes left to go in the game, with the game tied at 30 floor, Florida got a big stop on third and 10, shutting down tight end Cole Taylor after just a four-yard gain. You see it out there on the screen on a pass from quarterback Max Johnson and the Gators' defensive back, Mr. Wilson. Marco Wilson picked up Taylor's shoe that had come off and he hurled it about 30 yards down the field. And because of that, a personal foul was called. LSU got 15 yards, kept the drive going, and eventually kicked a field goal as time was running out. Instead of making a game-saving tackle, he forgot the game was more than just about him, and he hurled a shoe. The announcer says, I'm not playing the audio. He said, I don't think I've ever seen a shoe thrown that far. <laughs> it's probably the only time I've ever seen a shoe, shoe thrown in a football game. But it wound up costing LSU the game because, I mean, uh, Florida the game. Why? Because one player forgot. In the heat of the moment, one player forgot that it was not all about him. And hear me, you can get so caught up in your relationships that have gone sour. And just for a moment, we do the same thing. Just for a moment, we think it's all about us. Just for a moment, we think it's all about our relationship. Just for a moment, we forget that we may be hurting the team. And just for a moment, we forget there's a larger narrative at stake that the gospel is what matters, that your witness is what matters, that what Jesus is trying to do in someone's life is what matters. Do not think your relationships are all about you. They affect the overall mission of what God is trying to do in your world, in this world, and in somebody's life. Can I ask you a question this morning? What relationship would bring glory to God if you repaired it instead of made it worse? What relationship in your life that you may not have used the word enemy, but you know who they are, and you've let it go, and you've let it go, and you've not tried to make it right, and you've not tried to fix things, you've not loved them, but you've added fuel to the fire? And you've forgotten that it's not about you, that God may be trying to do something in somebody's life and you may be the person. You say, why would God let that person be my enemy? I'll tell you why. Because you may be the only one that can reach him or her with the gospel of Jesus. Jesus wanted to remind us it's not about us. But number two, Jesus would tell us this, that keep your friends and your enemies close. Right? We're used to doing nice things for our friends. We love on our friends, care for our friends, pray for our friends. But 
Here's what Jesus would say. What are you doing for your enemies? Here's what he said to do. Jesus said, number one, love your enemies. Now that isn't get a warm, mushy feeling on the inside for them. Love is a verb. It's the word agapeo in the Greek. It is actively seeking out the good of those who oppose us. Jesus not telling us with our enemies, get the warm fuzzies for our enemies. Jesus is telling us that you need to go out and actively seek the good for those who oppose you. Love on your enemies. You say, well, what if they resist me loving on them? Well, he gave you another command. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies or pray for those who persecute you. The very least you can do is to pray for them and to pray for the relationship. So while your prayer list may be filled with family and friends, and I'm sure it is, can I ask you a question? Where's the enemy section of your prayer list? Where's the place that you're praying for the goodwill of those who afflict you in your life? You say, oh, preacher, I'm praying for my enemies. Trust me, I'm praying for them. And I'm looking for a meteor any day to strike one of them dead. Like I am actively calling down fire and brimstone. That's, that's not what Jesus meant. Pray for the goodwill of those who afflict you. And we want our friends close to our heart and our enemies under our heel. But Jesus said to get both close to your heart. Why? You may never know when you might win them over. You do a little re- research on this. It's uh, obvious, the Great Wall of China. The current wall was built during the Ming Dynasty about 900 years ago. It's over 13,000 miles long, meaning it would, it would wrap halfway the length of the equator. The average height is 20 feet. The average width is about 20 feet. It was a massive deterrent to nations that would invade China. And no, it's not true. You cannot see it from space, even though you heard that often. But it's enormous. But Genghis Khan was the most famous invader that was able to successfully invade China and make it through the wall. Not because his army figured out how to conquer the wall. You know what Genghis Khan did? He bribed the guards and had them change sides and let him walk through the gate. All Genghis Khan did was turn an enemy into a friend and they let him walk through. That's a little picture of what Jesus is trying to get across to us that when your enemy's over, by loving them and praying for them. You say, preacher, that's not going to matter. Listen, I agree. You may not make a friend, but you may make a difference. Somebody that's giving you a hard time in life, why don't you pause instead of retaliation and love on them? Why don't you pause instead of letting anger seethe inside you? Why don't you pray for them and see what God could do? You say, preacher, you're asking too much now. I know, I know. And so that's why I'm going to tell you point number three is this. When it gets difficult, just look to Jesus. 
You say, you don't know what you're asking, preacher. You're right. I have no idea what I'm asking. I don't. But Jesus would. And these disciples weren't going to be facing the simple persecution we face today in America, right? Our enemies are not gospel enemies by and large. No, almost nobody's mad at you because of your Christianity. Our enemies are not trying to cause us physical harm or death. Our enemies aren't going after our well-being or our family. These were going to be. Their enemies were going to be trying to kill them. Their, families, their enemies are going to be trying to ruin their families. And so Jesus says, when I'm telling you uh, what I'm telling you, when it gets hard, look to God for your example and eventually be like him. Today's Palm Sunday, and it's a good Sunday to be preaching on your enemies because here's what was about to happen to Jesus. Today on Palm Sunday, the very people who were singing glory to God, Hosanna in the highest, a few days later are going to be yelling at the top of their lungs. Same people are going to be yelling at the top of their lungs, crucify him, crucify him. It took a matter of days for it to change. And so for those people that were yelling, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and five days later are yelling, crucify, crucify him. What, how did Jesus deal with those enemies? Luke 23, he said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they're doing. And, and look how that verse ends. It always amazes me. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. They heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. And it didn't even prick their hearts. It didn't even touch their hearts. They were more worried about dividing up his clothing than they were the Son of God was forgiving them for nailing him to a cross. It was just a few hours before that when they came after Jesus with an army. You remember Peter cut one of the soldiers' ears off. He was aiming for his head, but he got his ear when he did it. And you would have thought Jesus would have said, good job, Peter. See if you can hit somebody this time. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Christ forgave and healed his own enemies. And I want to tell you, when a relationship is tough and you feel as if you cannot mend it, look to Jesus. He is our example. We'll never show the world the difference between us and them by being petty and not being able to forgive and to love others. 2011, this story amazes me. In 2011, this couple had been married for 70 seven years they had great grandchildren and decided to move out of their apartment in Rome Italy that they had lived in for decades and decades and decades Antonio was 99 and Rosa was 96 hear that 99 and 96 77 years of marriage and while they were cleaning out a drawer Antonio stumbled on some old dust-covered letters, and they were between his wife and her lover more than 60 years ago. She had had an affair on him. He never knew it. So at 99 and 96, they got a divorce. They are the oldest couple on record having ever gotten a divorce Married for the same length of time. So there been, there's been one couple who got a divorce 
a little bit, just a little bit older than me. I, after all, can't be a lot older than them, a little bit older than them. But they, it was not their first marriage. This is their first marriage, married 77 years, and he divorced her when he was 99 years old. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with the sermon? Listen, I get it. But don't you think they might have tried counseling after 77 years? I mean, no forgiveness, no counseling, just done. His inability to forgive her for a wrong over 60 years ago left him living alone in his later years in life. Was she wrong? Of course she was wrong. But what a beautiful picture of love and forgiveness it might have been this morning. Instead of pettiness, hear me, I know relationships can be hard. I know people can mistreat you. The difference between us and them is that we have the Holy Spirit in us to help us be like Jesus. And when life and relationships get hard, look to Jesus. That leads me to number four. When it comes to this hardest command, number four, he said this, show the world your witness. The closing admonition. This is how we close out not just this sermon, but this series on the difference. Here's how we close it out. He said in verse 48, well, just do this. If you want to show the world your witness, do this. You just be perfect the way God's perfect. Now, now God knows we're not going to be perfect, but it was a maturity. Here's what he's trying to tell us. He said, he's trying to tell us, be like God, be, be like Jesus, be mature, be complete. Here's what he's trying to tell us. When it comes to our relationships, be above the world. When we rise above the world, we show them Jesus in us, and we have the opportunity to save the lives and the souls of people who are far from God. Close your Bibles, and I'm, I'm finished. Can I tell you a story, and I'm finished? As a matter of fact, stand, stand with me around the room. The uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the Golden Gate Bridge. I've been there several times. It, it, it's, it's beautiful. We, we, we drove across it one day during sunset. And, and while we were going across the bridge, the sun was setting. It's just such a beautiful sight. My wife and I have gone down and stood, uh, uh, you know, in the, right before you get on it and taking pictures and, and all that. We, we love the bridge. But um, th- there's a problem with the bridge. It's one of the most sought after suicide venues in the United States. People actually fly long distances to San Francisco, get off the plane, go directly to the bridge, and jump to end their life. So in recent years, the local government has asked the media not to report on bridge suicides. So in the last 10 or 12 years, we don't have any reports. But about 10 years ago, the best they can compile, there had been 1,600 people who had jumped off the bridge in order to commit suicide. That was nearly a jumper per week over the life of the bridge. Less than 35 survived. 35 people actually survived jumping off the bridge many of those died later on from injuries but one of the most famous jumpers off the bridge was reported on by the new yorker a few years ago and he had left a suicide note before he jumped here's what the suicide note said 
I'm going to walk to the bridge. If at least one person smiles at me on the way, I will not jump. I'm going to walk to the bridge. If at least one person smiles at me on the way, I will not jump. No one smiled at him. They only found the letter because he jumped. Hear me. You think you have enemies? You think you have people in your life that you would classify as your enemy? It may just be a person that needs somebody like Jesus in their lives. It may just be somebody that's desperately wanting to know if Christianity is real. It may be somebody that just needs you to smile at them, needs you to love them, needs you to pray for them. What if you viewed that person, that relationship in your life, instead of viewing them as the enemy, what if you viewed them as your gospel project? And I'm going to love on them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to smile at them. And no matter what they throw my way, I'm going to show Jesus to them because they desperately need it. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that wonderful, wonderful message. Hey, a message that we all need to hear from time to time. I think the hardest thing in life is conquering that topic of loving your enemies. Because look, it's really hard to love somebody who clearly does not reciprocate those same feelings to you. But the truth is, our Christian life should be defined by being different. And that's what this entire sermon series, The Difference, has been all about, is living your life different from the world. Because if you are going to reach our culture with the gospel, you're going to have to look different. And that includes loving your enemies. So I pray you were encouraged by that message today. Can I tell you today that if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's going to be even harder, and I dare say impossible, for you to love your enemies. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that is what has to occur first before you can even think about living the life of a Christian because you can't be something you're not. And so this morning, maybe you heard that message and you say, man, I, I can't love others. I can't love in my enemies and I just don't know why. Well, today, can I encourage you? It may be because you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and we wanna take care of that first before we do anything else. And so we want to give you that opportunity today. Giving your heart and life to Jesus really is as simple as A, B, and C. A, you've got to admit that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. This is you surrendering your thought and your life to Jesus Christ and saying you are nothing without Him. B, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ is who He says He is. That He died on the cross for you and for me and for my sins and yours. And that He rose again on the third day and He ascended into heaven where He is now. He's a living, breathing, alive God big G God, and you have to believe that today. And see, you've got to confess your sin and commit your life to Him. And see, we do all of that in the form of one prayer, and it's not a, a, a special prayer. It really is just the intent of your heart and your life to give uh, your heart and life to Jesus. And so this morning, if you've never prayed to receive Christ, and you know that you need to give your heart and life to Jesus today, then just pray this prayer wherever you are, whether you're in your living room, or maybe you're watching on your phone, or wherever you are joining us this morning. Just pray this prayer or something like it. Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I believe you died on the cross for me. God, I admit I've messed up. 
I pray that you would come into my heart, save me, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Can I tell you today that if you prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning, you are now a part of the family. So welcome to the family. We're so, so excited for you. And look, we don't want you to leave your decision right where it is. We just want to send you a few things in the mail as you begin what we call your next steps on your faith journey. And there's lots of information we want to be able to provide for you as you begin that journey. And so if you would, text I did. that's I-D-I-D, to the number 97000. And again, we're just going to send you some resources in the mail. You'll get a call from one of our pastors as well uh, to walk you through that decision and help you on your faith journey. We really are so, so, so excited for you. Don't forget, Easter weekend is upon us. Join us for Good Friday services right here at 6.30 or online on Easter Sunday at 9.30 and 11. Of course, lots of different in-person options as well. You can check out all that information at pvon.org forward slash Easter, and we'll see you this weekend. Take care. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.